0: be in 1 John chapter 2, and we're just going to look at verses 3 through 6, but I'm actually going to go a little bit into the original Greek and just talk through. So in verse 3, it says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now that word know, if you go into the original language, that word know is ginosko which means an intimate knowing. It's a word that described how a man and a woman a man and a woman know each other in marriage, intimacy. This is the knowing this is. This is not just, "Oh, I I know Dylan." This is I know Lena. No, no, no. This is an intimate bridal union knowing. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So this is a question we have to ask ourselves, do we know that we know? No one can answer it for you. What's interesting too about that word, keep his commandments, is in the Greek it is uh, tereo. And it means to attend to carefully, to take care of, and to guard from loss. And so it's not simply the Lord speaks and I obey. So that is part of that word. It means that we literally covet and treasure his words. We guard them. We don't want to lose them. We want to keep track of them. The Lord speaks, my goodness, do I want to grab hold of that and guard it and treasure it and know his voice and know his ways and walk higher and higher and higher into obedience. Like that is what we are called to do, to guard his words, to covet his ways, to know that we know him and to keep his ways. Verse four says, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. And that word liar, you know, I, I'm sorry, but the Bible just doesn't play. We like to water things down a lot of times and we like to say, well, you know, it's just a little sin. Every sin was a lash on his back. Um, But this word liar means a liar, one who breaks faith, a false and faithless man. So if you say that you know God, but you're not actually keeping and coveting his voice and commandments, what the Lord says about you is you are a false and faithless man. It's either or, either you know him intimately and you love him or you're false and faithless, a liar. And the devil is the father of lies. You either serve God or you serve the enemy. There's nowhere in between. There's just not. Everything in your life is going to come from the motivation of love or the motivation of fear. It is. Verse five, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. And that love of course is the word agape. The agape, love of God, the highest form of love, and that word perfected, is uh, teleio, to make complete, to perfect, to add what is yet wanting in order to render a thing full. Because you see, the Lord knows we don't have it all together. He knows that we're not perfect. Actually, if you read in the context of the chapter, what we, al- we always must read in the context of the chapter, in the context of the book, and in the context of the entire Bible when you're reading scripture. But it literally talks just in the, in the place before this. Anyone who says that he does not sin is a liar. We all have fallen short. It is the reality. But when we begin to covet his voice, when we begin to treasure his commandments, when we begin to know him intimately, he comes in and adds to what is lacking. He knows where we're lacking. He knows where we must be perfected. He knows what is missing and lacking in our hearts. And so he comes in, the person of love, and begins to replace the areas in our lives where we're depleted and lacking and full of fear and full of things of the world. He comes in and replaces it with the person that he is. Not in our own strength, but it comes in the yielding. It comes in the looking to him and knowing that by by myself, I have nothing to offer. By myself, I have nothing to give. By myself, I cannot love. But when I look and run to the person of love, the person of love possesses me and my life becomes an epistle of love. This is who he is. But we must be sober-minded and real with ourselves. It says, by this, we know that we have come to know him. You can look so anointed, you can, for a while, have the appearance of godliness. You won't be able to fake it for forever because fruit always shows because fruit always grows, no matter what. And what you're watering your roots with will show in your fruit. But for a season, you'll be able to have the appearance, the form of godliness. Many have done it. You know, it says, I, I believe it's in Matthew. You know, it's an, it's a parable of the end times, but People come to the Lord and they say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out devils? Did we not do all these great and mighty exploits? Mighty men of God. Oh, but the Lord says, but I never knew you. There was no intimacy. There was no genosco. I never knew you. So all those things you did, yes, you did it under the gifting of God, but you didn't do it in the intimacy of God. Whew, help us, Lord. Help us, Jesus. So, you know, the question becomes, if to love him is to obey him, what is the cost of that obedience? Because if it was easy, we all would bat a thousand, right? If it was easy, we all would never sin again. You know, it would be done, over with. (laughs) You say, wouldn't that be nice? You say yes to Jesus and never have another problem. But, you know, the problem is, even knowing that we sin and even knowing that we fall short, we still sometimes think we're (laughs) self-sufficient, It is. It is. And so we need him. We need him to need him. And we need to recognize this. But I'm telling you, to truly walk in this love, to truly walk in the obedience and intimacy of Christ will cost you. And it's, it's Bible. We'll go through some verses. Like, it's not in the fine print. It's not in the footnotes. It is <laughs> on the page over and over and over again. The cost of Christ is not minimized. It's costly. It's costly. You know, I've been going back and studying some of the great revivalists of the earlier century, and, man, I think think sometimes even what we think we know, we don't know. (laughs) I was reading this account of Smith Wigglesworth recently, and he was preaching in New Zealand. And for those of you that aren't familiar, he was a a healing evangelist with radical testimonies. I mean, the dead raised. I mean, tumors flying out of people. I mean, limbs growing back. I mean, radical healing power. And he was in New Zealand, and he called a prayer meeting with some local pastors that were part of this, uh, part of these services. So 11 men show up, they close the door, and they begin to pray. And Smith lets all the other men in the room begin praying. They take turns, and they all go through, and they pray and seek the Lord. Smith Wigglesworth gets up and begins to pray. And the description from the men that were in that room, they said the very air itself began to get hot. The very air in the room began to glow with the light of heaven. And those grown men crawled out of the room. Every single one of them, hands and knees, fled the room. One man came out weeping, 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 and someone asked him what happened, and he said there's too much God in that room. don't even know what we don't know and they tried it again the next week and one man who hadn't been there in there the first time said oh I'm not gonna leave I know God I'm not gonna leave (laughs) he was the last to leave but he left on his hands and knees he said that Smith Wigglesworth began to glow and be caught up in this glorious fire that he couldn't even look at him this is the God we serve there's so much more Catherine Coleman Spoke once, well, many, many times, but I, I specifically, I was just watching a video this week where she said she's so, she was so tired of young people coming up to her and saying, pray for me. Give me an impartation. I want the anointing that you have. She said, you can have it if you pay the price. You don't know the price I've paid for what I've walked in. She said the consecrated life is the loneliest life on earth. She said, while others were out at parties and out at social events, I was in the secret place. While others were out pursuing careers and this and that and the other, I was with my beloved. I paid the price in secret to walk in the anointing in public. The cost of Christ is real. And you can't fake it. You can ride out on giftings for a while. You can even walk in an anointing. But you will not increase in your anointing if you won't pay the price. You will stay stagnant, I'm telling you. Because I've lived it. As Sarah said from you know the an early time when I was saved man like just the way the Lord even encountered me I'm not gonna go through my whole testimony but basically I was raised in a Baptist home so I knew of the Lord like just very religious and slant but I'm telling you I'm so thankful for some of these denominations like the Baptists, that reverence the Word of God I'm telling you and I'm not coming against anybody but I've been in campus ministry for many years and I've seen many Pentecostal students who've been in these fire-filled churches their whole lives and they've got no reverence for the Lord. None, oh, none, man. Like those who had access the youngest should be the fullest of the Holy Ghost fire and they treated it as common. I'm sorry, but speaking in tongues is not commendation from the Lord that you have arrived. It is not a checklist. It is meant to edify your spirit and call you higher. This is the God we serve. So I was raised in a home where I knew the name of the Lord. I I knew the Bible, but it was all very sort of historical in nature. It was a list of rules, but no empowerment to walk them out, (laughs) which for someone who's kind of a perfectionist is the hardest thing to be given, a list of rules and no power to walk it out. You feel like a failure every day. You know, I kept the big ones, sure, I've never gotten drunk, I've never gotten high, I've never fallen into those vices, but, man, the the other ones, like, (laughs) you know, all, all the other ways that we fall short, man, like, I couldn't keep the rules, and it just felt so discouraging. It felt like serving a God who was sitting a million miles away and wanted me to do all these things and had a plan for my life, but I didn't see any of it, you know, and so I got into college, and college became my God because I could do really well. I could put the work in and I could see results. And so I'd study and study and study, and I began to invest more and more time. But the thing is, idols will reward you momentarily, but kill you ultimately. And, a- and mine began to do that because, see, I began to have major anxiety. So everyone would see the success, again, in the public. right? You see the worldly anointing, if you want to call it that. You see the success in the public. People saw the 4.0 and the amazing resume and all the volunteer things I did and all the offices I held and all the things that I did, and I was doing amazing. But they didn't see when I was up at 4 in the morning having a panic attack because I couldn't figure out my assignment and I wasn't going to get a good grade. Like it sounds ridiculous, but this uh, and I know so many students to this day that deal with anxiety and depression because their identity is in this God of education. Because as your grades go, so do you. And it all ties into your destiny and future because you're not serving a God who holds your future, you're serving a God to whom you're enslaved, this false God. And so in order to get ahead, in order to get into grad school, I knew I had to do all these things because everyone's going to have a degree. So what do you do that's above? Like that is the rhetoric given in education is everyone's going to have the same degree. What are you going to do to put yourself ahead? So you just have this pressure. Well, I don't know. I guess I'll join this organization. Oh, but there's 50 other people in this organization. Okay. Well, I'm, i I got to get perfect grades then and I'm going to take extracurriculars and I'm going to do summer programs and I'm going to do this and, this and this and this and this and this and you can do it. But, oh, the cost, that's what you don't realize. Whatever you serve, you'll pay the price but the enemy likes to entice you into the broad way. Initially, it's easy. Initially, that broad way seems so comfortable, so instantly rewarding. You, you get the accolades, you get the grades, you get whatever it is you're after. You know, I- the broad way is easy, but it leads to death. And so, you know, I, I was doing well academically, not so much mentally, spiritually, physically. <laughs> you know, I, I remember my sophomore year, I think I lost like 15 or 20 pounds just from stress. Just from stress. Not sleeping, not eating, cuz who has time for that? Not me. <laughs> it was it was nuts, you know, but it was the reality that I lived in. And so the the summer, beginning of summer right after my sophomore year, I lost my grandfather who was really one of just the the Christians that I knew in my life. Like he was so faithful and so loved the Bible and so loved the Lord. And before he died, he had uh, all of us grandkids around his bed. And he said, I, I don't care what you do in life. I don't I don't mean that in a mean way, but I don't care if you work for NASA or Walmart or I don't care. I just want each of you to look me in the eye and promise me that you'll serve God your whole life no matter what you do. You know, and we all did. But I'm telling you, your words carry weight. And those words that I spoke, the Lord remembered them. And I remembered them, and I couldn't shake them. Because see, I considered myself a Christian, but I knew the fruit of my life was not that of Christ. And so I went away that summer to um, an internship in Connecticut. Didn't know anyone, away from everyone I knew, everything I knew. But this weight, what does that mean? What does it mean to serve God first and foremost? What does it mean? You know, and it's interesting because the Lord is so merciful. He'll encounter you in the way to draw you to him. He knows what you need. And so this, this thought all summer long of what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Just kept coming up. And I remember I was reading my Bible the one day and (laughs) I didn't know visions were a thing, but I look back now and I'm like, wow, that was a vision. (laughs) But I can still see it in my mind's eye. It was so powerful. But I saw myself standing at a crossroads and down one path. I knew everything that was coming. I saw me going back to the same life that I was living with the same friends and the same goals and the same pursuits and the same classes and doing all the things that I knew how to do. And then I saw this other path and I couldn't see down it at all. (laughs) It was murky. It was cloudy. I couldn't see it, but I knew Jesus was on it. And I stood at this in my mind. I stood at this fork in the road and I knew I knew everything had to change, no idea what it would look like. Looking back, I sure did not know what it would look like, <laughs> but I knew things had to change. And so I'm very much an all or nothing person, like very much, so <laughs> which can be a really good thing or a really bad thing. When it came to, to serving the enemy, it was really bad because I gave everything to school. But man, the moment the Lord had me, it became all for him. And so I couldn't let go of this vision, and I didn't know what to do with it, but I knew everything had to change. So I came back, and I started making changes. I'd been dating someone who wasn't a Christian and broke up with him. I, I, you know, cut off certain friend groups. I was like, no, I don't know what needs to change, but I know I need to change. Like, I know things have to be different. And the Holy Spirit brought back to my remembrance that, actually a friend of my ex's, had invited me (laughs) to a Bible study, (laughs) and uh, I remembered that, and I was like, oh, he's the only person in two and a half years that's said something to me about Jesus on this campus, and so I reached out to him, and he gave me the information for this coffee shop Bible study thing that was downtown called Awaken Youngstown. I was like, okay, so at that time, I, you know, was full of insecurity, full of anxiety, full of all kinds of stuff. I was not where I'm at today and so I go to go to this Bible study and I'm halfway there and this guy texts me and he's like hey so sorry I'm actually not going to be able to make it tonight I'm like great great I don't even know you but I kind of know your face like you were one person (laughs) and now I don't know anybody and I'm supposed to go to this coffee shop and I had had bad experiences with churches when I was younger where I'd gotten really really hurt I was like great and I was like you know what though something needs to change And if I can't go there and be comfortable not knowing a person in the room, then I don't want to go back anyways. And so I walked into that room. And I'll never forget that night. I don't remember what was preached on. I don't remember the songs we sang. I didn't know them anyways because all I knew were hymns. (laughs) But I remember the way the people in that room loved me. It was so radically different from anything that I had experienced that I remember leaving that night thinking this can't be real. Like, Like, this must be just how they treat people for the first time. Like, this can't really be real. But I came back, and it was like this, and I came back, and it was like this. And I can remember the first time I encountered the manifest presence of God in worship. Like, it's so important to treasure those first times with the Lord, those places of first love, those pillars where he encountered you, the way he called you. Like, they all tie into your destiny, to your calling, and to who you're meant to be. Like, look at Moses. Moses had to go out into the wilderness encounter God in the burning bush in order to set a people free from Egypt. To go through the wilderness, to take them through the refiner's fire, to get Egypt out of them and into the promised land. His very calling or his very encounter with the Lord depicted his calling. Like, the Lord is very prophetic and very strategic in how he does things. And so I began to encounter the Lord, and just, like, I remember thinking, like, what do these people have that I don't? Like, I'm a Christian, they're a Christian, but their life looks way different than mine. And so I began to read my Bible, and, like, I was, like, searching. Like, I'm very analytical, and so I'm like, there's an answer in here somewhere. I will find it. And I started reading in Hebrews, which no one uh, it was it, it was the Lord. No one starts reading the Bible in Hebrews. Like you start in Matthew, maybe you start in Genesis. Maybe you start in Psalms. No one starts in Hebrews. But I started reading in Hebrews and I would read just like a chapter a day. And I still remember it was early in the morning before I had to go to class. And I'm reading Hebrews chapter 12. And, you know, it's talking about the cloud of witnesses and all this stuff. And I'm reading through and I get to the last verse of that chapter very short verse, Hebrews 12, 29, for our God is a consuming fire. And that verse leapt off the page and branded me in my heart. And I said, that's it. I'm not consumed. I had no idea what that meant. (laughs) No idea. (laughs) But that's what I knew. And that became my prayer for weeks. God, I don't even know what this means, but consume me. Every day. God, I don't know what this means, but consume me because I need to be consumed because something has to change for weeks. And about three weeks later, Awaken Youngstown went out to hear this revivalist speak, Johannes M. Reitzer, and he's talking about um, these crusades he's doing in Africa and people getting saved and all these amazing testimonies, and I'm sitting there weeping. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? Because at that time, I was not emotionally demonstrative. You know, I, I had a hard heart. But the presence of the Lord was so in the room, and he was so on me, like that was my night to be consumed. And they did an altar call, and I knew because they they said, uh, you know, if you've never been saved or if you need to rededicate your life, and because remember, I thought I was saved. I look back now, and I'm not convinced. Um, (laughs) But at the time, I thought I was saved. And so I went up, and I rededicated my life. And all of a sudden, they're like, okay, come in this back room. And then there's this crazy Swedish guy that's like, we are going to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to begin speaking in tongues and da-da-da-da-da. Hi, hello, Baptist, what? (laughs) No idea, no idea, and I'm I, and I, you know, again, let's remember where I was. Very academically minded, and so I'm like, I didn't study for this. I don't know what this means. I don't know what to do. <laughs> and so these thoughts are spinning in my mind. If I don't know how to do this, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know what this is. Like I had no grid for anything, and that's the first time I heard the Lord speak to me. And He said, "Are you always going to need to be in control, or will you trust Me?" <laughs> And so I stood there and I said, if this is you, I want everything you want to give me. And if this is not you, then protect me. And as I prayed those words, so they were down at the other room praying for people. They weren't even near me yet. And as I prayed those words out loud, Literally, the words turned from English into tongues as I prayed it out loud, and I went from God, would you do the Ka kabarakai, and it was like fire fell on me, and I fell to my knees, weeping as I felt the consuming fire of God come on me like I'd never experienced anything in my life, and everything from that point was different. Like, <laughs> like it's amazing. That first year of my life as a Christian was glorious. Anxiety disappeared. Depression disappeared. Panic attacks disappeared. I was like everybody should be a Christian this is so great (laughs) you know and then a year in and all hell broke loose in my life and uh, and I'm not going to go into it but but family members were persecuting me and coming against me and threatening to disown me (laughs) and it was like every I was being challenged in every area of my faith you know and they they would bring arguments that sounded logical like, and I'm a very logical person, and so I'd be like, yeah, I get it. That sounds logical, but, but I asked God, if this is you, I want it, and if this is not, you protect me, and if he's a good God, why did it happen? And that became the foundation I stood upon because I didn't have full grasp of the Bible. I hadn't been a Christian for very long. I hadn't walked in this thing for very long. Like, I knew nothing. Like nothing, I mean even, I remember those early years, man, and God's so good, but I would just glean from anybody. Like I'd hear people at in Youngstown talking about some anointed sermon. I'd go look it up, because I knew no names. I didn't know, like, they'd talk about Todd White. Okay, I'll look up Todd White. And then he's like, you need to be preaching the gospel to every person. Are you even a Christian? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I did. I listened to Todd White for a while, and I was like, I don't know if I'm saved. I'm not, I'm not very evangelistic. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> you know, I, I expanded. Uh, I, I love Todd White, though. Like, so thankful for his fervency and fire, like, thankful for people that have gone ahead and laid the foundation that we get to walk on like seriously. And so, you know, I just went on this journey of, of following after the Lord and learning of him. But, you know, life happens. And even those of us that burn with zeal and burn with fire go through stuff. And I went to grad school knew I was supposed to go to grad school, but I went from being in this prophetic, amazing, on-fire community where, you know, if I was a little lazy in the secret place that week, I could still go on Sunday and get filled up and get fired up and be ready to go for the next week, and I could suck off the anointings of others instead of stewarding my own. And then I went off to grad school And I went and I joined this Assemblies of God Church and I went and enjoyed their campus ministry and I was like, I'm ready, I'm ready to do whatever, like I don't care. I'll I'll serve in the back, I'll stack chairs, I'll, you know, just let me help, let me love on these students, like I love, like I was so excited to be part of a campus ministry because my heart is so for that age range because that's where my whole life was changed. So like, use me, I'm here, I'm happy to help. And the pastor sat me down and said, you know, one thing you're going to have to realize over time that ministry is about 90% administrative work. And so, you know, the best thing you can do is just sit down and, you know, we we'll, we'll see what you can do. I was like, "What?" <laughs> ministry is to the feet of Jesus. That much I knew. You know, the paperwork and all that stuff, I mean, we do have amazing staff here. I mean, Pastor Brett and Caleb and Amy do such an amazing job stewarding with excellence this house and all the administrative stuff that goes with it, but that is not ministry. That's the the wheels of ministry, the necessary things. It's, It's an infrastructure, but the burning heart of ministry is ministry to the feet of Jesus. That is who we must be as a people, and that is who we must be as a community. And so I went to this place where I was basically, in a nice Christian way, told to sit down and shut up. And so I was like, okay. But, I, you know, even though the leadership was not godly, God used that leadership. Because I needed to walk through a season of humility, and I needed to walk through a season of depending on God for my everything and not on other people. So I started, you know, but I was very hot and cold. Very, again, all or nothing kind of person. And so I I'd, I'd be all in and I'd steward the secret place and I'd be here with the Lord and things would be good. And then grad school would get really really busy and I'd, you know, slack off the secret place and man, the enemy just came in viciously. And I started to deal with depression again, which I hadn't dealt with for many, many years. Got free of that and then, you know, back back on track, back on track, but it was it was this way for years of just up and down and up and down. And uh you know, skipping forward a little bit, sort of toward the beginning of 2019, I took a look back at the last year of my life and I didn't like what I saw because, you know, one of the things that I encourage everyone to do this is number one, steward the voice of God. Journal, do audio recordings, whatever you need to do, steward the voice of God diligently. You know, when the Lord would rebuke Israel in the wilderness, one of the things he would say to them is you have failed to remember what I have done. And he would tell them over and over again, establish an altar, establish a pillar, commemorate what I've done in your midst. And they would fail to do it and they would forget who he was and what he had done and he would rebuke them for it. So steward the voice of God in your life like your life depends upon it because it does. So steward the voice of God in your life and then periodically look back. Look back and see, have you been faithful to steward it? Have you been faithful to walk it out? Have you gone from encounter to encounter to encounter, but failed to steward it? Or have you actually grown and matured in the character of Christ and in who he's called you to be? I usually, I I look back typically at least quarterly. I'll look back and reread all my journal entries and reflect on prophetic words, but at least yearly, you should be doing this in in my opinion. And so I began to look back at the beginning of 2019. I was like, man, there's a lot of academic success here. I was doing really well in grad school. I passed, you know, all my key exams. But I was like, man, I'm not not on fire for the Lord the way I used to be. Okay. And so I began to press in. And, (laughs) you know, the enemy doesn't really – you're not a threatening Christian if you're comfortable. Like, the enemy will actually go to great lengths, if he can't tear you away from the Lord and cause you to become an unbeliever, he'll happily make sure you're very comfortable. Because if you're cold, you'll notice it. You'll kno- Where is the fire in my heart that once burned? You'll notice it. And if you're hot, of course, you're blazing with passion and love for Jesus. You'll know. But when you're lukewarm, it's really easy to not take account of your life. And it's actually really easy to start to edge towards coldness because you'll see you'll start to develop an appetite for the world just like you you start to spend more time with the Lord and your appetite for the Lord grows and grows and grows and grows and you start to like oh no I, I don't want to watch that ooh I don't want to be around those people ooh I don't that's not where I want my time to be but the the more comfortable you get it's like well is that movie really that bad um, I know I didn't have secret place time today but uh you know friends really want to hang out uh, uh, you know and, and you start to drift and you start to drift and you start to drift and then suddenly you wake up and you're like, whoa, how did I get here? So beware of comfortable. I'm telling you, it's the most dangerous place to be. And so I, I was comfortable. I was like, I don't, I don't want to be comfortable. This isn't okay. You know, like I don't want to spend more time watching Netflix than I'm spending with the Lord. This isn't okay. And I'm not against movies and all that. Like everything's fine in moderation, but if it's taking up more time than Jesus, it's, it's a problem. It just is. If your, if your heart's affection is more towards things of the world than things of the kingdom, it's a problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I began to just press in again. And I went to Glory Nights Atlanta 2019. Um, never, I, I'd only been in one Brian Guerin service before this. Mm-hmm. And got, I mean, just so touched by the Lord. Like the intimacy of his presence that came in the room. Like I was so hungry for the Lord and then for like a month or two after that man I was so hungry for Jesus every day every day I was after him but you know the enemy didn't like that and so again I I started to drift towards comfortable and these distractions came in and I, uh, I, I was debating my career path at that time and trying to figure out what I wanted to do and I got accepted to this really prestigious program in Massachusetts where they brought in like the top leading experts in my field in the world And brought them in and we got to learn from them for like a week or ten days or whatever it was and I mean I was around the best of the best of the best and it was like wow you know again that all-or-nothing personality came in and I was like wow this is what I want to do with my life, and so I began to debate and decide, and I was like, you know, I think I want to be a professor at a big school, and I want to go after this research field, and I want to be the top in my field, and I want to travel and do all these different things, and those aren't bad things if that's what you're called to do, but there's a cost to the calling, and that calling was not mine, but I fu- you know, I, I debated it for a minute, and so I started to pour my energy into that and focus on that, and the thing is, I could do it, like, I knew that. I, and my boss had told me that. I knew I could do it. I had the skills to do it. I could have gone. And, and, you know, again, those worldly successes, man, like, th- it's m- a far more lucrative career than anything else I could have. Like, it's one of the top paying areas in my field. Like, it was all there. I, I knew I could do it. My boss was encouraging me to do it. Other people were rolling out the red carpet to help me along this path. But, man, I started to drift from the secret place again. And I finally, I was like, enough is enough. So I came back and started diligently pursuing the Lord day after day after day after day. And, like, my heart just began to change. And I realized the cost of that call was not the one I wanted to pay. It was the cost of Christ. And I knew I wasn't called to that region. And so I, I set it aside, and I just began to focus on the Lord. But, man, like, the cost came almost immediately. Like, it was towards the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. He called me into this season that was just hard, like, like lonely to be honest because uh, you know i didn't used to come into town every weekend like i do now and so he would have me lock up my whole weekend or at least my whole saturday and i would spend five six seven eight nine ten hours with the lord all day fast pray pray in tons worship fast pray pray in tons worship every single weekend and it was amazing i mean sometimes the way his presence would come in and encounter me it was glorious and then other times I'd be there eight hours praying in tongues, and it's like, are you in the room? (laughs) You know, it'd be real dry. And I was like, what is the point of all this, you know? But I look back now, and, you know, praying in the spirit, which is so much of what he emphasized in that season, truly edifies you and strengthens your spirit. And I look back at that 2019 season, and I'm like, praise God, because I wouldn't have survived my 2020 season without my spirit being edified and set on fire and ready ready. I didn't know. See, I thought 2020, 2020 was supposed to be such a great year. I was going to go to Philadelphia for a work trip. I had gotten accepted to this really prestigious conference in Switzerland. My work was going to pay for me to go to Switzerland for free. Like every expense paid, go to Switzerland. I was supposed to go to Columbia with uh, Brian Guerin. Sarah and I were going to go on his crusade. We were going to go to Niagara Falls for glory nights. Like 2020 was the year of travel. But, you know, the Lord, at the beginning of 2020, I always ask him for a word for the year. What is my word for the year, Lord? And he told me at the beginning of 2020, your word for the year is intimacy. And I was like, sweet. It's going to be these amazing secret place encounters. (laughs) Intimacy. Into me see. And the Lord put me through a process where he looked into every area of my life and crushed and examined and had me take every area of my life, every area of my thoughts captive and lay them at the altar. Like one thing we have to remember about altars, because we use that word a lot, altars are not stairs to get on a stage. Altars are a place where you die. So when you lay things on the altar too often, we want the Abraham anointing. We want to put it on the altar and have it pop back up alive right away. But more often than not, the Lord's actually asking you to let it die. And so there were dreams and desires on my heart in 2020 that he asked me to put on the altar and let them die. They, they were my alabaster jar. That was the way he had encountered me. And so I, it was hard. I mean, some of the things he asked me, I mean, I'm talking like future dreams, future hopes, all these big things, like big areas of life. He asked me to put on the altar and let it die and trust him that if it was truly of him, it would be restored. And, you know, there's things that I contended for over and over, night after night in 2020. Like many of you have heard the testimony of Sarah and I where we prayed nightly for months and months and months and months and contended. And, you know, and one of the things we prayed for is, God, would you expand our heart's capacity to know you? Man, he did, but not in the way that we thought. <laughs> it, it came at a cost. But it's, it's Bible. It's normal. I mean, look at the accounts of the kingdom of heaven in Scripture, which Sarah, I know, taught on um, not this past Wednesday, the Wednesday before, so I'm not going to go through them, but I will just mention them. The pearl of great price in Matthew 13. The rich young ruler in Luke 18. In Matthew 10, Jesus says, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. This is the gospel. There's a cost to following Christ, and it looks like something. And I I just want to say this. If you're not willing to pay the price when the cost is low, you will be unable to pay the cost when the price is high. Because he who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. It's Bible. So if you can't set aside, you know, I'll keep picking on Netflix. If the Lord tells you stop watching Netflix and you keep watching it, you're in sin and you will not be faithful when the price is high you know it says in romans i was just reading romans this morning in romans 14 paul's talking about the issue of food because some of the the romans were debating like what's clean what's not clean what can we eat what can we not eat and paul's basically like look everything is clean you can eat everything unless you have a personal conviction about it because whatever you do that comes not from faith is sin well what is faith faith is believing god is who he says he is will do what he says he'll do and that his way is the only way so if the lord tells you something and you have faith that his way is the only way, and then you do your way, you're in sin. doesn't really matter if it's in the Ten Commandments or not. It just is. Personal convictions. We must be sensitive to the voice of God and be willing to pay the cost. We must. Like, the pearl of great price. Do you understand that this man had enough money? Like, he had possessions, he had money, he had things to be able to afford this pearl, but he had to give everything. Why would he give everything for this pearl? Because all that other stuff anyone could have. Anyone could have money. Anyone could have a house. Anyone could have cattle or whatever he had. But that pearl he knew was precious. The blood of Jesus is precious. I'm telling you, we've got to be willing to pay the price. Everything else must come in second place. I want to read Psalm 66. We're going to start jumping through some scripture, and then we'll land it soon-ish. Uh, Psalm 66, 18 and 19. David here is talking about prayer, and he said, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. What's interesting is that verse iniquity in Hebrew means trouble, vanity, wickedness, but specifically an idol. So basically we could read that as, if I had cherished an idol in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to my prayer. I wonder how many times we're praying to God with an idol sitting on the throne of our hearts, wondering why our prayer is not getting answered. We must be sober-minded. Psalm fifty-one, seventeen. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In the Amplified, it says, my sacrifice, the only sacrifice acceptable to God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, broken down with sorrow for sin and humbly and thoroughly penitent. Such, O God, you will not despise. We must be sorrowful over sin. Now, that's not to say that we walk in condemnation and shame and, and, you know, self-punishment. But it is to say when we sin, oh, God, help us. Humbly we repent. Swiftly we repent. And then we get back on the narrow way. You know, uh, the, the more you follow Christ, the more you're willing to pay the cost, the narrower the way gets. The things that were acceptable and permissible in one season, you'll quickly find are not permissible in another season. Because you just can't carry all that stuff with you. You know, let, let's say this is the broad way. You can walk pretty easily. I mean, if you wanted to have a bag, several bags, some luggage, like you could bring it all with you. There's plenty of room to walk. But you start walking your way through the aisles, hmm, not as much room to bring stuff along. And the Lord will hem you in and hem you in and hem you in until you're literally putting one foot in front of the other. It is hmm. And I, I the Lord, this picture he keeps giving me is like you're walking up this circular path of a mountain and the path is getting narrower and narrower and narrower. And man, you start to step to the right or start to the step to the left. You're sliding back down. And how many people do you know that go around mountains over and over and over again? They s- get on fire. They start to go after the Lord. They start to ascend. But then the cost becomes too high. So they go back down. And it's the same mountain over and over and over and over again. And the Lord is merciful and patient, but you're not going to get anywhere, and you'll miss out on doors of destiny by continuing to go around the same mountain. And I've done it. That's why I can say it, because I've lived it, and it's so much better to pay the price. We're going to read through just a few verses. Um. No, I'm, I'm going to share something first, and then, and then we'll read through a few verses. So in all this, you know, you you could take this word and you could be convicted of it. And it could be hard and it could be heavy. But there's another side to it that I cannot emphasize enough. And again, where we started, the person of love. Because even as he asks you to pay the price, It's so much lower than what the price he's already paid. You know, and and like the enemy wants to define you by your wounds. But Jesus paid the price to define you by his wounds. And so I I had this encounter with the Lord just a few weeks ago. It was like I said, I've been in a very, very hard season in, in many ways. And so much has not made sense of this season. And so it was one of those nights where I just broke down and I was like, God, I don't understand. (laughs) You said this and you showed me this and you spoke this and and all I wanted to do was obey you. (laughs) All I wanted was to obey you and to please you. (laughs) And now I'm sitting here in what feels like a mess. Like every hope, every dream, every plan that I had, it's like not one brick is standing upon another. Like it's all just rubble around me. I don't understand. And you know, the more I started to process with the Lord, I started to get upset. Like, why did you have me extend mercy here? Why did you have me do this? Why did you ask me to do this? Why did you keep speaking on this? When, you know, why, 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 why? There's all these questions. And then I stopped and I was like, oh, so grieved. Because I know, I know. Who am I to question God? And so... I waited there, I waited there for him to rebuke me because that's what I deserved. Oh, and instead, he, his voice came to me in the still, small whisper. And he said, don't you know that I understand? And he met me at the cross, and he cracked his heart open to me. And I felt the rejection that he felt, and the humiliation that he felt, and the pain that he felt. (laughs) And instead of condemning me, (laughs) or convicting me (laughs) for complaining about my situation, he met me in mercy. (laughs) Oh, and I wept, and I wept, and I wept. but I got up with so much healing in my heart (laughs) because I realized that he extends his heart to people every single day. (laughs) The perfect, sinless, glorious Lamb of God. (laughs) And yet when he was on the cross, he looked around and there was no one there. (laughs) They all had run away. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He understands the deepest wounds, the deepest hurts, the places of suffering. And he meets us there in love and in tenderness and in mercy. that's the thing about this season, is as hard as it's been sometimes. (laughs) Those nights when I have wept before Him, (laughs) and poured out my heart before Him, (sighs) I have experienced the intimacy and the meekness of the Lamb in a way that I've never tasted. For he knows what it is to pay the price. He knows what it is to pay the price. And he invites us to share in the cup of his suffering. Because see, that is intimacy. Is sharing in the joy and sharing in the sorrow. Intimacy is not, I will love you when it's convenient. I will love you when I get something out of it. I will love you when it's good for me. But then I will run away when when it becomes hard and painful. Intimacy with the Lord is, I will meet you in the pain. I will crack my heart open to you and you to me. And in that broken. <laughs> oh, intimacy is found. This is the cost of Christ. It will cost you, but I'm telling you, the reward. Oh, like I so. I so look back at the last year. And I understand why Paul writes and says these light momentary afflictions. Because in the bliss of his face. They fade away. And I look back at the last year and I think, you know. As hard as it's been, as much as I still don't understand. I look back and I'm like, I'm more confident than ever that I know the voice of Jesus. I'm more confident than ever (laughs) that I will pay any cost to obey him. I don't care what my feelings say. I don't care what my opinions say. I believe Jesus more than anything else and I will follow and I will pay the price. (laughs) Like that is, that certainty has been branded into my spirit over the last year. I'm telling you, (laughs) should every single one of you in this room (laughs) deny Christ tomorrow and turn away from him I would press on into his face because there's nothing else I can do where else can I go for he has the words of life who else would I be if it not for him and the blood of his sacrifice how could I keep on sinning and living in in the world when he paid it all for me to live a holy and righteous life you know paul writes in galatians i have been crucified from the world and the world has been crucified from me the cross of the cross of christ comes down and divides you from the world and, and from who you are now and to get back into the world and to get back into compromise and to get back into singing, sinning, you literally have to trample over the shed blood of Jesus to get back into the world. Do you realize that every time that we sin, we trample over the shed blood of Jesus, we toss aside the sacrifice of the cross and we go back into who we once were when the price has been paid and freely given to live in love and to live in the place of bliss with him. We must be a people that presses onward higher and higher into holiness. It's the only way. We must set aside the things of the world. We must stop lying and being faithless and and compromising and, and, and making excuses. And we must live with fervency and zeal and passion. The Lord has never rebuked anyone for being too zealous for his name. The Lord has never rebuked anyone for loving too much. The Lord has never rebuked anyone for sacrificing too much. Oh, on the contrary, over and over again we see in scripture not only the the reality that suffering is real but the expectation that suffering is real. I'm just going to read a few verses throughout 1st and 2nd Peter. 1st Peter 3:14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Ah, First Peter 3.14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. 3.17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Verse 4, 1 and 2. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. What does that mean? If you'll be willing to pay the price, you'll actually die to sin in a much higher way, and it becomes easier to do the will of God. Uh, verse or Chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. And lastly, chapter 5, verse 8 through 10, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You know, the devil will come back and knock at the same door you let him in through last time. He doesn't have to get creative because, well, we open the door. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. I love how it says after a little while, because with the Lord, what does that mean? (laughs) A day, a month, a year, 10 years, one day is as a thousand courts or one day is as a thousand years in his courts. A little while. So all of this, we must walk in a higher way. We must lay aside compromise. We must be willing to suffer. But how? How do we endure? I'm going to tell you something. You can't do it on your own. (laughs) The only way to do it, the only way to endure is to run to the first love of Jesus Christ. We must. like. This week, it's just been so on my heart to come back to that place of first love, to go back to those songs that I played over and over when I got saved, to listen to the people that ministered to me when I was first saved, to read the verses that, that spoke life into me and made me hunger after the word of God, to come back to that place of who I was, that first love. Don't you remember when it was so simple? All you knew was Jesus had saved you. You probably couldn't have said the gospel. Some of you might not have been able to quote a single verse after you got saved. But you knew Jesus loved you. You knew you were different. You had the testimony of the blind man who could see. I don't know his name. I don't know who he is. I don't know what's going on. But this I know. Once I was blind. But now I see. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. Oh, the first love of Jesus will burn so bright in your heart that nothing else can even compare. Like your soul can be in anguish, but your spirit goes to this place of bliss and glory. Can I tell you that the last year, even in this last season, I have walked in more peace and joy and righteousness. Like my heart has been so hungry for the Lord. It's been so easy to get in the secret place. Like my heart has longed for it. It's like, where can I make time? Okay, (laughs) I'm going to run and be with you. Okay, I got 10 minutes, Lord. Let's go for a walk together. I just want to be with you. Oh, oh, I know I was supposed to go back to work. I know it's been an hour, but can I just be with you a little longer? Like I'm telling you, there's something that's happened to my heart in this season where I love the Lord so much more than what I did like I thought I loved him I thought I knew him I thought I was on fire for him but when he met me at the cross it broke something open in me where I just love him so much more like I'm begging you today lay aside the things that are holding you back I wish I could go back you know I was thinking about first love and I'm like I I wish I could go back (laughs) to myself years ago and say please please just listen to the Lord Please, turn off the TV. Please, stop, stop. Just shut it all down. It's not worth it. It's just noise. It bears no fruit. (laughs) Please, please, just love him. He's waiting. Like I think about the number of days he was waiting in the secret place for me and I didn't show up. (laughs) I think about the number of days he was there with his nail-pierced hands (laughs) waiting to embrace me and I didn't show up. But he still has met me every day that I have shown up like this is our merciful, loving God. Cause his utmost desire is that he has paid the price. And now he wants to possess you with love. <sighs> we're gonna, we're gonna open the altars <laughs> as an altar, as a place to die. And if you want to come up and lay anything on the altar, lay down your life, lay down anything. If you're feeling that tug, please just come up. And I'm just going to pray. You can begin to come even now. Lord, I just pray for a grace to love you (laughs) like never before. God, I pray. (laughs) I pray that the call, the higher way. Oh, oh, Jesus. Oh, that it would break our hearts with what breaks yours. that the crushing and the brokenness would draw us in closer to you. Holy God. Oh, I just pray, Lord, for these precious people at the altar. I pray that the fire of God would fall upon them. I pray that this would mark a season in their lives where they're never the same after this. Like Paul writes in first Corinthians, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, but when I became a man, I put aside childish things and I just pray a maturing in Christ, a maturing in Christ today for each and every one of us, a fire to grow in our hearts today that will drown out the coldness of the enemy, that will fight against the coldness of the world and that will cause a blaze in our spirits that cannot be quenched. Joining us on Encounter Podcasts. We pray it has been a blessing to you. We would be honored if you would prayerfully consider supporting this ministry by becoming a monthly partner or sowing a one time offering, helping us bring the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord to the lost and the continued training and equipping of His bride, the Church. For more information on how to become a partner or make a donation, please go to Encounter1078.com and click on the donate button. Thank you, and may the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus be upon you.